you know, there are people that are do grave night shifts. So that means they're actually in a stable place. But how about those people like nurses or even uh, flight attendants? And they'll be doing shifts where they move around. So it's not even steady. How, how do you address that when they're having issue, weight loss issues? It's complicated, <laughs> but yeah, so well, it's I work it through with them and it's very individualized. And I read a study that said that in, uh, people who are doing for people who are doing night shift work, it is better to, uh, to fast through the night, even if you're working, but it doesn't always work for people. Cause maybe they did sleep a lot during the day and they're starving. Like they're hungry. Hi, I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild. We're wellness experts, fertility strategists, and moms who overcame infertility infusing science and all things natural. We are on a mission to boost your mood, your bod, and your inner mama spirit as you navigate this thing called life. From fertility to pregnancy and mamahood through menopause. Think of us as your own personal fertility squad as you make, grow, birth, and raise your baby. Fasten your seatbelts, lean lean in, in, and get ready to learn and be encouraged. This is my Fertology Podcast. So here's a question that I hear, and perhaps you get this as well. It's like, I'm doing everything, but I can't lose weight. Like, why can't I lose weight? And we need to discuss this because it's like, we need to understand the phenomena and why we are not losing weight and perhaps overcoming it in a way that you can. Right. I hear this so often and it is often because of some other imbalance in the body. It could be a hormone imbalance or a nutrient deficiency. If you are severely iron deficient and you don't have the energy to prepare healthy, nutritious meals, and you feel like you're doing everything, it could be that you need to correct the iron deficiency first. And then you'll have the energy to move a little more and, uh, eat healthy, or maybe you are doing the work and you are eating healthy and you are moving, but you're just so exhausted doing all of that. And the iron deficiency is creating an issue with how your hormones are responding in your body. Perhaps your thyroid isn't being manufactured properly. It looks fine on blood work, but the receptor, the, 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 the thyroid hormones not re- binding to the receptors. And so it's really important to speak with a physician or a naturopathic doctor with an extra special focus on weight loss and hormones to uncover, you know, what's going on because it could be your thyroid itself is underactive and it could be a sublaboratory hypothyroid where, you know, your family doctor measures the message from the brain to the thyroid, the TSH. And we talked about this in a previous episode on thyroid. It could be that your TSH looks normal and healthy, but your, the actual thyroid hormone production. So the T3 and the T4 are low normal or completely low. And then you're thinking, okay, why do I feel so tired? And my bowel movements are lazy and my hair is falling out and I can't lose weight no matter what I do. In fact, if I work out harder and I restrict more, I'm gaining weight. And that often is a trigger or a sign for, uh, an imbalance of some kind of hormone. It could be that you're not sleeping properly at night. And so you're ravenous all the time and you don't understand why you're so hungry and you think you're doing perfectly, but you know, secretly you're like, Oh, I'm just so hungry. I'm binging here on the side a little bit, even though I'm doing so well during the day and then you're fasting and then you're back end feeding. Cause you're so, you know, uh, tired and hungry. 
But if you work on the sleep and the reason why you're not sleeping, correct that all of a sudden you have less ghrelin, the hunger hormone and more leptin, the satiety fullness hormone. So there's so many hormones that can impact that, you know, the, the issue with that, what you're just saying, like I'm doing everything and I can't lose weight. Well, you're doing everything likely, or you feel like you're doing everything, but there's some other, you know, chemical imbalance, a hormone or a nutrient deficiency. Often. And and so I just want to bring it back because you're like saying a lot in one short time. And so when we go to the physician, they'll do a lot of baseline hormonal panel, right? So the baseline is like the TSH. And as you mentioned, that can actually look normal. But when we actually do blood work on the whole cascade of hormone, then it may get picked up. So you could go in and see someone like Dr. Tanya or myself as an acupuncturist and say, you know what? My thyroid's good. My doctor tells me it's good. And it's like, well, but really, is it? Like, tell me what they actually tested. So this is where we teach you to bring it back, go back to your doctor and say, hey, did we actually test, you know, the whole cascade of hormones? Like, you know, because, because of course, you don't know, and you want to trust your physician. It's not that you're, they're not trustworthy at all. It's just that they're, they're it's standardized um, requisitions care. And, and care, and they may not go uh, beyond and um, do blood work for things that are beyond the TSH. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? It does. And even for hemoglobin as another example, they might do a CBC and see, well, it won't, might not be flagged that your hemoglobin is 121 on the scale of 120 to 160 and that ferritin, which is the iron stores, they don't get checked. And so you might not realize you're really iron deficient and borderline anemic and you're not, un, un, you're totally unsure of like what's going on and your physician, unless it's flagged might not call you for that. And the reason for this is because they are looking for acute scenarios. They want to make sure that they're not missing that you're anemic. They're not looking necessarily for iron deficient deficiency. In some cases they are, if you've really sat down with them and you've, and you've talked about it, but they're, you got to change your expectations a little bit and expect that they are treating you for infections. You're, you're going in for clinical screenings for breast health and, you know, gynecological health, and they're not educating on nutrition and supplementation and treating borderline hormone imbalances. It's not, well, what that's they not do. part. Yeah. Well, it's not what they do and that's not what they learn either. It's not part of their scope. It's not no. the scope of practice. And we need to all learn this. And, yes. you know, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but certainly I see lots of physicians and I'm like, did you learn, you don't learn this in medical school. And like, no, no, we don't. No. <laughs> right. And so it's not their job, but yet, of course, when you go to a physician, it's like, you expect them to know everything. Well, guess what guys, wheelhouse has it that they just learn their certain tools and they're really great at what they do and what they know. And then there are other things. So we need to look beyond just the weight in it of itself. At the, so really the bottom line of what this conversation is that we need to look at the whole picture, your hormonal health, your supplemental health. And in Chinese medicine, we look at, you know, are you a person that has an exuberant amount of energy or you're a person that's deficient? And we need to honor that and not overdo or underdo because that impacts your uh, life and your health. And then also beyond that too, it's like, well, you know, how are we menstruating? Are we like losing a whole whack of 
blood every month, because that can impact your iron levels and your hemoglobin levels. And certainly in Chinese medicine and in acupuncture, we look to, it's like, well, how can we rectify? How can we balance your menstrual cycle out? So that you're not having these heavy, what I call floody bleeds. And that may help bring your energy level up. And when your energy levels up, then you have a better capacity to exercise more proficiently rather than exercising and you're in exhaustion. There's a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. With fasting, sometimes people will fast thinking that's going to help with their insulin hormone, but then they'll fast and fast and fast. <laughs> Meaning like, you know, they're trying to eat within a certain window, but that eating window gets narrowed and then fasting becomes stressful and stress the cortisol hormone. As we know it, uh, that's a stress hormone that causes us to put weight around our belly. So it's really important to do intentional fasting and then break your fast with good food and on time. Uh, because if you fast and then don't break it with prepared planned meals, then you may gain weight doing that. And then you might be so hungry later on in the day and back end feed, I like to call it or nighttime feed. And, uh, and then you might not be able to sleep on time because now you're energized and then you're affecting, like the, I mentioned the ghrelin leptin hormones and insulin resistance is so common. We talk about it in our, uh, you know, sugar diabetes episode and insulin resistance is something that sometimes it's hidden. And there are, you know, patients who will do just standard blood work and they you include the HbA1c now on the standard every three year blood screens for general health and the tell, A1C tell us might what look H, normal. Yeah. So tell us what that actually is, that blood um, work. So HbA1c is glycated hemoglobin and it represents how sticky your blood is. And there's a scale. Uh, where if you are above six to 6.5, you're in your pre-diabetic anything above 6.5 or 6.5 and above is diabetic. So the stickier your blood over the last three months, because it's a three month representation because red blood cells turn over every three months. And so we get to measure like, how were you in the last three months? Not just a fasting glucose, like how were you today? And how were you yesterday? Uh, actually, it's more representing how were you yesterday with your food and how's your body responding to glucose in your diet and insulin, the hormone, what's it doing? Um, it's, it's too, uh, narrow a window of time. Like just check in and see how you did yesterday. The A1C or the HbA1C looks at the last three months, which is an excellent test. The issue is, is that sometimes the first thing that your body is doing to compensate for high sugars is blasting out high insulin because of insulin resistance that's starting to creep up and you might not see that A1C go up yet. Your fasting glucose might look good because your insulin's working really hard. So it's helpful to check what is your insulin doing in response to sugar. And if you ask a, you know, an OHIP family physician, um, they're not likely, it's not standard of care to check your insulin and do a glucose insulin response test or a fasting insulin glucose test. So you where you show up to lab fasting, drink a bunch of sugar in a drink that, you know, maybe women do when they're pregnant, um, to, well, not maybe they do usually at around 28 weeks pregnancy to check for glucose, um, intolerance. It's the glucose tolerance intolerance test or glucose tolerance test. What we're looking for is now 
not only what is your glucose doing in your blood, but also what's your insulin doing. And if you're feeling really tired after a meal and you're lazy all day or feeling like, oh, I just can't exercise and I don't even have the energy to make a lifestyle change and eat healthy. It could be that your insulin resistance is creeping up. And that's such an important hormone to address. People think hormones, they think reproductive hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but insulin, cortisol, ghrelin, all these hormones really influence weight loss. Yes. And so again, you need to really know how you're feeling in your body and get help. I mean, this might not be something that you can do on your own. And um, I just want to circle back because you talked about fasting and use the word multiple times. And we just want you to be clear that fasting does not necessarily mean, you know, there's some religions and they literally fast on water for like 24 hours. Or, you know, I've seen people that tell me they do fasts for like, like, you know, hardcore fasts right? Where it's like for seven days or 10 days. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fasting in your life because we know the word breakfast. So it's like breaking the fast because during the time of sleep, hopefully you're actually not sleeping and getting up in the middle of the night eating. So you break your fast in the morning to eat. And I think what you're speaking to is the time between this nighttime to morning time you know, how long is that stretch? And there are, you know, the intermittent fasting. Yeah, that's one way that people look at this. And even in this intermittent fasting where the there's a they're looking at a shorter time span where you're eating during the day. So some people like it could be 16 hours to 14 hours to eight hours, right, of the time between eating. So you're addressing about like, you know, what is healthy for you and your body and it may be different and variable for each individual. Right. So it could even be 12 hours of fasting. Sometimes people don't realize they're eating, you know, uh, quite frequently throughout the day. And then you know, they might come home and be tired, have a nap and wake up and eat. And then they're up late. You know, these, these habits that, um, once broken can really support a healthier, um, you know, journey to dropping weight and intermittent fasting could also be called, you know, you could call it timed eating or timed fasting. So, um, we all do fasting because we go to sleep and can't eat while we're sleeping. <laughs> so we all do some <laughs> kind of intermittent fasting. It's just a matter of how long is that fast and what's right for you? And do you need to do a little bit more fasting to support insulin uh, sensitivity? That's great. Now I'm going to be adding in again, real life scenarios. So who this might be a challenge for, because the body loves regularity. It loves something cyclical and timely. But so I'm sensitive to all the people that do shift work and not just people that do shift work where it's like a, you know, there are people that are do grave night shifts. So that means they're actually in a stable place. But how about those people like nurses or even uh, flight attendants, and they'll be doing shifts where they move around. So it's not even steady. How, how do you address that when they're having issue, weight loss issues? It's complicated, <laughs> but yeah, so well, it's I work it through with them and it's very individualized. And I read a study that said that in, uh, people who are doing for people who are doing night shift work, 
it is better to, uh, to fast through the night, even if you're working, but it doesn't always work for people. Cause maybe they did sleep a lot during the day and they're starving, like they're hungry. So when you're trying to drop weight, it's important to protect your sleep and try to have, um, you know, regular meals when you are awake, but not be eating all the time. Right. And then it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's working on, the whole sleep wake cycle and then shifting the eating window. So it's just so variable. It's a loaded question, but yes, it's, it's an individualized and you can still do intermittent fasting. You can still do timed eating. It's just a matter of, of planning. I think that's great. That's a great answer, by the way. I know I put you on the spot, <laughs> but it just came up in my little head and I'm like, oh, no, because yeah, it's a good question. Cause I do have a lot of patients like that and I do still get successful weight loss. It's more planning and prepping for sure. Yeah, which means more commitment, more work. And so that that is part of the two guys. It's like, you know, we want things that will be spontaneous. And at the end of the day, it does take commitment. It does take perseverance and a lot of patience and um, planning and food prepping. All those kinds of things can help take the edge off and make it a little less challenging. Is there anything yeah, else? So in our next episode, uh, more I think that because we want to keep these episodes nice and succinct, I think let's jump into the next episode shortly and talk about what are the habits that we would want to layer in besides looking at hormones and nutrient deficiencies and food in versus exercise out. Like, What can you do? What are the real helpful habits that are going to help success, like set you up for success for weight loss awesome. that will impact all these hormones? 